0: All right. Good morning, everyone. Hello, kids. Hello, friends at home. Glad you're with us as well. All right. So part of what Pastor Jeremy will be preaching on this morning is he's going to be talking about tradition. All right. And so traditions are things that are in place that we do uh, over and over again, kind of at the same time, the same occasion. All right. So help us get our minds around this. I want to show you some pictures. I know they might be a little bit tough to see from a distance. Um, and I want you to kind of think through what tradition goes along with that. All right? So our first picture here is a cake and candles. What would that be for tradition? When do we use that tradition? Birthdays, right? Celebrate birthdays? Yeah. All right. Next one we have that is a bunch of fireworks. When would we have that tradition? Fourth of July, right? Celebrate our country's independence. Good. How about putting up a tree in our house with a bunch of decorations? Christmas, right? We do this as a tradition to help us celebrate Christmas. How about having a nice big juicy turkey for dinner? Is that a tradition? Thanksgiving, yeah, way to go. Thanksgiving is the time we do that. Here's one that's a little bit different. Some of you may have this tradition. How about buying a new outfit? Maybe at the start of the school year. Some people have that as a tradition. Every start of school year, they buy new clothes for school. Here's one. This one's maybe more for the adults. The first Tuesday of every November. Right? Election day, right? Election, yeah. So there's different things that we do that we have traditions to help us either celebrate or remember or do something. Uh, like that as a tradition. Now, some traditions are established by men, by people. We establish certain things that we do to celebrate or to remember. Well, other traditions are established by God. Now, for the traditions that God has established, um, do you think those would be important for us to follow? They would be, right? If God has established traditions, uh, we want to obey God, we want to honor him, so we should follow through those traditions. Now, where do you think we learn about the traditions that God has established? Where do we learn about those? In the Bible, right? From God's Word. And so the traditions that God has established for His people and for His his church are laid out for us in His Word, in the Bible. We learn about them by reading our books and by listening to God's Word being taught and preached. And so some of these traditions that God has for us would include things like gathering together for worship every Sunday, right? Uh, celebrating the Lord's Supper, and a whole lot more that God has laid out for us in His Word. And so Pastor Jeremy's going to come now, and he's gonna, uh, we're going to learn more about tradition and what that looks like in the church as well as in our world. All right.
1: Thank you, Pastor Jeff. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 11. Two Sundays ago, he preached an overview of the first 16 verses in this uh, issue of head coverings, and now uh, I'm going to do what I didn't get done then and and finish verse 2. And I want to do it and focus on this issue of maintain the traditions in relation to the issue of head coverings, and then in relation to the issue of celebration of Lord's Supper, which is what's going on in chapter 11. You might remember that Paul, in this entire letter, is responding to what he's heard from the church in Corinth, either by people visiting from the church, or he references a letter that he's received from them. And so obviously one of the issues that is going on there is some issue related to whether or not the women of the church should be wearing head coverings. And then he's also dismayed at how they've been going about celebrating the Lord's Supper and what he will term in very unworthy manner. The way that, to think about this is the church has been disordered. There is disorder in the church. Disunity, if you'd like. This is true in the Corinthian church. Again and again, they are disordered in how they're relating to God and to each other. We saw in uh, chapter 8, they were disordered in relation to each other in the, in the issue of eating meat. <laughs> they even found a way to be disagreeable with each other and think one is less Christian one is more Christian over whether or not they ate meat, eat meat. Uh, and... And now in chapter 11, this issue of disorder is in how we submit to each other, especially male, female, in the worship service. So if you remember, in chapters um, 7 and 8 the, and 9 and 10, the context was likely the home. Buy meat in the meat market that had been sacrificed to idols and bring it home and could they eat it in their homes? How about if they went to somebody else's home and, and the meat was sacrificed, should they eat in the home? Now the context has shifted to the gathering of the church. How do we rightly relate, how do we rightly order our relationships in the corporate gathering for worship? And in verses 2 to 16, the relationship is male-female as we gather before God in worship, how should men and women rightly relate? How should the ordering of male-female take place in the church? And then in 17 to 34, it's in relation to the Lord's Supper. As we take the Lord's Supper, how should we rightly order our lives? How should we rightly relate? I think this, is, this text is perfect for our day. It's out of order, isn't it? <laughs> Things are very disordered. And a disordering is always a disorder of love. It's always that our loves are disordered. So in the issue of meat, I demand my right to eat meat over care for your soul. It's a disordered love, isn't it? To risk somebody's eternal soul so that I can have bacon. That's a disordered love. And so what Paul is doing is setting our loves in order. It's all right to love bacon but you ought to love your brother more. Now the issue is head coverings. And as I said, I... I've been uh, rather reluctant to get to this chapter. Somebody even said last week that I had Pastor Jeff preach in order to avoid another week of it. Shame on you. True, but shame on you either way. Uh, So I was asked this week, so do I think that women should wear head coverings? (laughs) I don't know in all honesty. I think so. It looks like it's, it's there in the text and I want to be the kind of person, I want our church to be the kind of pers- people that when we see it, we're like, okay, we got to figure out how to work it out. I wouldn't encourage any of you to just start wearing them kind of willy nilly. I, I want you to work it through. I really do want you to see it in the text. And if you see it, then to have the faith to obey it. And if you don't, then have the faith to love those who think differently than you, different I'd love to be the part of, kind of the part of a church where we can have a real difference on this and really disagree and be okay with that real disagreement and still worship the same one God who has sent this on to die for us on an issue like this. And we could have some women who decide to cover and some who don't, and neither of you looks at the other and thinks any less. Now, there are issues that we should divide over, and this isn't one of them. This is not a major doctrinal issue, though the related doctrines are major, as we'll see in the coming weeks. So my plan is I want to get through verse 2 today, <laughs> and then next week I'm going to try 3 to 8, and then the following week, 9 to 16. So we'll take three more messages on this issue And if that's not sufficient for you, i got plenty of resources if you'd like some. But let me read. I'm going to read all 16 verses here. Then we'll pray. And I want to explain a bit about this issue of traditions. Now, I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. Isn't crazy? I don't know about you, but just reading that, it feels embarrassing to talk about a woman's hair. But there it is. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. This is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice nor do the churches of God. Let's pray. Father, you have dealt well with us, your servants, according to your word. We praise you that all of your promises are true, that you have provided us everything we've needed this past week for life and godliness. And now we ask one more thing of you, to teach us good judgment and knowledge according to your commandments. God, we want to keep your word, Your word is good, and they do good, so please teach them to us. The insolent around us smear with lies, but may we with our whole hearts keep your precepts. May our hearts not be unfeeling, but may we delight in your law. It is good for us that we're afflicted, that we might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to us than a thousand gold and silver pieces. May you give us faith to believe that. In Jesus' name, amen. If you remember from two weeks ago, the entirety of this section is about the glory of God. We we saw that in 1031, whatever we do, do all to the glory of God. You see as I've read that this is about the glory of God in worship. And what the inspired apostle is saying is we will never let anything preempt the glory of God in worship. And here it's a woman's hair. So, so that's what's going on here. I, I don't know any other way to say it but that. And I don't think this will make sense to us unless we see that this is foremost about God's glory and worship. And since male, man, is created in the, as the glory and image of God, he shouldn't be covered. And since woman is the glory of man, and her hair is her glory, she should cover in order that it might not distract from the glory of God. I think you can see that happening in these verses. One of the questions then is, well, what's the covering? Some in, because of verse 15, her hair is given to her for a covering, say that her hair is just the covering. There's there's nothing more. Others and uh, would say that no, there is an, an extra covering—a hat, a doily, a veil—and as I said last week, if you do any research into this, the the practice of the Christian church for two thousand years, until about the nineteen fifties, and basically in our country has been for a woman to wear something else. It's it's pretty striking. Uh, when you begin to see that. In fact, one person I read said basically 99.9% of church history has had women cover with a veil or a doily or a hat um, in order to honor the creation order of male first and then female and in order to bring God glory. So that's what's going on in this text. That's the summary of the sermon from two weeks ago. That's what I see happening here. Now, Paul in verse 2 commends the church because they remember him in everything and they maintain the traditions even as he delivered them to them. If you've, let me just talk about commend. I commend you. If you've been following as I've preached through First Corinthians, there's not much commendation in this letter. There is a lot of rebuke, a lot of correction. This is a church planted by the Apostle Paul. This is a church that Paul himself pastored for many months. This is Paul's church. Of any of the churches Paul planted, this is the church that he spent the most time with. And it's the biggest mess. <laughs> that makes me feel good. All right. And now he's writing them to criticize them and correct them and rebuke them for a lot. I mean, there's a lot that they're going wrong with in this church. But that doesn't mean there aren't things that God is doing right there. He commends them. Uh, and, and so I emailed elders and deacons this week and just said, where should we commend Pine Grove? Where are they doing well? And, and, and here's some things. You all do very well in faithfulness and caring for one another. And it's a real strength. Thank God for that here. That There is genuine care that you give to each other. That you go out of your way to care for each other. The neighborhood small groups have been one of those. Those have been enjoyable. I can't wait to get back to them this fall. So thank you for being a part of that. We've already mentioned the financial support. Uh, We took on a big building here, didn't we? 30-some thousand square feet compared to our 11,000 square feet building. As an aside, I don't know if you know that the people who bought that old building from us have done a bunch of work and they've opened up as a special event venue last month. So that's open now and, and going for business, uh, you can check it out. I think it's called The Pines. Anybody see that? Is that right? Pastor Jeffrey, remember? Where is he? Think so? That's totally off topic. But um, we've had a lot to take care of here, and you guys have done that very well. Most of the things happening here as far as ongoing care of this building have been volunteer. It's, it's really been neat to see you all work together on that. Uh, We have certain ministries that require a lot of volunteers, and we have those, and they've done very well. I'm thinking of Juana and Youth Group here. Thanks. Uh, And one of them remarked that we have a lot of people in our church who are very concerned to grow in the grace and and truth and knowledge of God's Word. I can tell you as a pastor, um, up here, looking at you, it's really easy to see when people are engaged or not. Um, it's really easy. You can ask any preacher. They might lie to you, but you can tell if you're tracking or not or if you're um, with me or against me. It's it's all over your face. I proctored. In, in college, I uh, got a job in the science department, and I would do whatever they wanted, clean beakers, prep for labs coming up. And one of the things that I was, had to do was proctor tests. So I'd sit up front and watch as they took tests. And it was absolutely easy to see who was cheating and who wasn't. And it was, I couldn't believe it. I could see who was cheating. It was totally obvious. <laughs> I didn't do anything about it because they were like my peers. Some of them were on my baseball team and I didn't turn them in, but it was very obvious. (laughs) The same thing is with preaching. It's obvious. And one of the things that's enjoyable preaching up here is I often preach to people who are engaged in body language and in facial expression. I don't get very many dirty looks. And you do get those, and it's very discouraging to preach to somebody who's giving you the stink eye. But largely... I want to commend you. It's really enjoyable to have people with the Bibles open on their laps and really engaged. So there's much to commend you for at our church. And if you remember, I didn't choose to preach through 1 Corinthians because I thought there was a whole bunch going wrong here and we needed a bunch of correction. I wanted to preach this book because he lays out a really good model for pastoring that has been lost our a day, particularly the issue of bringing any kind of pastoral confrontation to specific sin. And I think Paul sets out a really healthy model for that. And, and then the broad range of topics that he covers in this book are very helpful. So much to commend you for. Please hear that. We as elders, deacons, pastors are very, very grateful to be in part of a church like this. So there is much to commend you for. And Paul commends them specifically for two things, that they maintain or they, be, they remember him in everything. What, what does that mean? It means that they are following Um, Paul's example, I guess, in everything. And I don't know what to do with that with how much he corrects them for. Except it looks like, basically, they they still have a high regard for him even though they don't. I I don't know what to do with that. But he's thankful for them. But the second one is they maintain the tradition even as I delivered them to you. And I want to focus on that. Maintain the tradition. What is meant by tradition? If you have your Bibles out, we're going to go through a few texts here in a moment. So get them ready. Sword drills at the ready. Um, We're not going to shout out if you get there first. Manny and I did that last week when Jeff was preaching. He was going through a number of texts. We'd look at each other and see who won. And I just want you to know I won the majority of them. But at the end of it, she beat me the last couple, two or three. And so it might have just been luck. All right. The term itself, this term, tradition here, it just simply means that which is handed over, passed on, delivered. So those of you who have grown up in the home with a, a mother, father, maybe a grandfather, grandmother, they pass on certain traditions to you. That's what this word means, is that which is passed on, that which is handed down, that which is delivered over. You actually see that. You maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. Paul is being redundant. He's, he, he wants them to understand the traditions that he's talking about. Typically, when you and I hear tradition, we hear man made. We think of something that man has created. That isn't what Paul means here. Jesus, as you know, in the Gospels, criticized, rebuked the Pharisees for elevating man made traditions over God's word. That isn't what Paul's talking about here. So you have to get beyond that if you're going to get what Paul's talking about here. He's not talking about man-made things. He's talking about the Word of God, the apostolic tradition, the Spirit-inspired, eternal Word of God tradition. That's what he's talking about. Where do I get that from? Well, let me take you to a few texts. First, if you uh, turn just a few chapters over, 1 Corinthians 15. He doesn't use the same word tradition here, but he uses the same language. Now I would remind you in 1 Corinthians 15.1, remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, right? The gospel I delivered to you, which you received, in which you stand, in which you are being saved, if you hold fast. Verse 3, for I delivered to you. Same language. This is what he's referring to as the tradition. The foremost tradition delivered by the apostles is what? Jesus Christ was crucified, he was buried, and on the third day he rose again from the dead. So when he's saying, praise God that you maintain the traditions he I' delivered to you," the one that comes just a few chapters later that he delivered is Jesus Christ crucified and risen. The apostolic tradition, the very thing that makes an apostle an apostle is what? that they saw Jesus Christ raised from the dead. They saw him bodily after he was raised. This is the tradition they've handed down. But we have in our minds the word tradition as something shaky, something that you could give or take, uh, leave or take. That's not what he means here by tradition. The, the central reality of biblical Christianity is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And don't you need that in these uncertain days more than you need anything? As you look at this world that the foundations are crumbling under, what should you do? Remember that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, that he ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he has all authority in heaven and earth and has been wielding that authority for two glory years and that everything happening in this world is according to his eternal plan for his glory and our good. Why? Because the apostles saw him raised from the dead. That's the apostolic tradition. Uh, The ESV translation of maintain doesn't give the force of that word. The New American Standard reads, hold fast. We see the same thing in 15.2. If you hold fast, same word. We hold fast to the truth that Jesus Christ was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. This is the tradition we must never let go of. This is the truth handed down from the apostles who actually saw him. The apostle Paul saw Jesus on the road to Damascus in bodily form, appearing to Him in glory, speaking to Him. And He is handing that down to us. He is delivering that to us. He is giving you something that is precious and eternal in value and worth, and you are to hold fast to it. You aren't to hold fast to what's going on in the world. You aren't to hold fast to what we do with the coronavirus. You aren't hold, to hold fast to what happens as far as justice. You aren't to hold fast to all of the teachings on black, white, so on race. You are to hold fast to the truth that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And if you will, you'll be commended for it. For if the Apostle Paul is going to commend us for holding fast, as how much more God who raised his son from the dead. If you want to be commended before your Father in heaven, then hold fast the truth that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. And so young people, give me your attention here. Look, look, look up here. You are being raised in Christian families, right? Right? You are being handed down, delivered down, this awesome privilege of being raised in a family where mom and dad fear and love Jesus Christ. It isn't enough for you to say, well, that's what my parents believed. You must hold fast to this yourself. You must grab hold of it and never let go of it for yourself. In a world that is going to be very different than the one that I had to hold fast with when I was a young person, you're going to face things that we probably didn't have to face. And so please hold fast to it. It is eternal life. Let me take you to a few other texts. Um, I don't want you to turn to this one, but in Acts 16.4, it says that they delivered to them the observance of the decisions that have been reached by the apostles. Acts 16 is following right after the Great Jerusalem Council, where Paul and Barnabas returned from preaching the gospel to the Gentiles and were being criticized for not also preaching the necessity to be circumcised, the necessity to keep other parts of the Jewish law in order to be Christian. And remember the apostles came together, searching scripture and says, it isn't necessary to be circumcised to be a Christian. What do you have to do? Abstain from sexual normality and the eating of meat with blood. They delivered this council, uh, the decision of the council over, and this became apostolic tradition. It was rightly ordering how Jews and Gentiles should relate to the Savior Jesus Christ, and it's only by faith. So that same language used there. Now turn, turn here, if you would, to 2 Thessalonians. So if you're in 1 Corinthians, we're going to the right, several books. Right after Colossians, you have 1 Thessalonians and then 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15. I want you to see how important these traditions are. These aren't take it or leave it. These aren't man-made. I think these verses are going to surprise you. 2.15. So then, brothers, he's talking to the church, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. He's exhorting the church to stand firm and hold fast to the traditions taught by the apostles. And what are we to do with those who don't? What are we to do with those who refuse to uphold traditions handed down to us by the apostles? Well, he tells us in 1 Thessalonians 3, six. Now we command you, there's a dirty word in Christian circles, isn't it? How dare he? Now, we command you. His word is like a hammer, isn't it? You're here to be commanded. The shepherd is commanding the sheep. He's rightly ordering our relationship, isn't he? Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother. Look at that. I command you, we command you, that you keep away. And not just six feet away. This is social distancing here. That you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. That you refuse fellowship with a brother who is refusing the apostolic tradition. So when he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, I commend you. That you maintain that you hold fast the traditions even as delivered to him. He has in mind here the apostolic teaching in the Word of God. That we are to stand firm in and hold fast to, and shun anyone who refuses to do likewise. This is serious stuff here in this verse, isn't it? We're not talking about whether or not you put up a Christmas tree. We're not talking about whether or not you hide Easter eggs on Easter. We're talking about the apostolic, Spirit-inspired, eternal, unchanging Word of God. That's what he means by that word in verse 2. So let me apply that, if I can, to us. First, let me commend you again. We have a church fast that I believe is eager to hold fast to the apostolic tradition. And you should know how precious that is that you get to be a part of a church like this. I count it a high privilege. Because it is not normal in our day for the church to hold fast to the apostolic tradition, unfortunately. I don't mean that we're anybody, anybody else. There are other really good churches in our area. I count their pastors, dear brothers. We're not the only good church in our area. But by and large, the American church is refusing to hold fast to the apostolic traditions. It's sad. They lack the courage. In fact, I think, particularly in response to this race issue, where churches lack courage to tell the truth, we'll probably see a whole bunch of people leaving churches again. Uh, Not churches like ours, probably, but churches that refuse to stand on the truth. You you often hear a a statistic that the American church is shrinking the numbers. Well, that's true, and it isn't true. As with all statistics, you, you have to dig a little deeper. The kind of churches that are hemorrhaging members are the kind of churches that are not holding fast to the apostolic tradition, who are giving in on the cultural issues. The mainline denominations are hemorrhaging members. They are closing churches. The churches that are flying the gay pride flag or being open and inclusive, those churches are losing members right and left. But evangelical, Bible-based, Largely courageous churches like ours are growing in the United States. Now, we shouldn't continue to hold fast the apostolic tradition because it's working. We're not pragmatists. We're not marketing in the church. We we could give a rip for marketing strategy in the church. It is not about attracting. It is about being faithful to Jesus Christ holding fast to the traditions. Why? Because that's what the apostle commends the church for. And I would much rather be commended by a spirit-inspired apostle than have more people in my church. Wouldn't you? Now, hopefully it'll work out where both of those things happen. That in our day where people see the the corruption and bankruptcy of where we're going, that they want something solid, that they want a savior, and they find it in Jesus Christ and in those churches that stand firm on his teachings. Amen, that's right. Amen. So God help us. So let me apply this to you. As I said, these chapters are about ordering, rightly ordering, and we see in our world a, a great disorder. Disorder particularly in these riots, and any of us have a heart, are really angry with Mr. Floyd's killing, right, that's wrong. And it looks like justice is being served there. Thank God. We should rejoice in that. And the riots. It's awful. I saw an extended... Uh, video of the devastation in Minneapolis. It is awful. It looks like when I have visited third world countries. I mean, it's, it's trashed. It's awful. So what do we do with that in this? How do we take this and apply it there? That's what we need to do with the Bible, Right? How do we take this and apply it here? How do we rightly order things? Paul is preaching this to a church in a city that is a lot lot like our cities today. Cosmopolitan, advanced in learning and wisdom, sexually crazy, there isn't much difference between Corinth and Chicago or Corinth and Madison. There's so much similarity. And to a local church in that kind of a city, this is what he's preaching. What is his answer to helping reach the world with the gospel in a city that's just like any city in America? What does he do? Well, he tries to rightly order their worship. He focuses on bringing correction and right ordering to the people of God. Do you see his apostolic method here? Where is judgment always first to begin with? The people of God. The judgment always begins with the household of God. So you as a believer... As you've watched the outworking of the murder of Mr. Floyd in the world, what has been your response as a Christian? What have you been thinking? What have you been feeling? I've been angry. I've been sad, confused. My first reaction isn't to look at my own life and wondering if I'm rightly relating to God and to you in worship. I haven't thought first about where my own life needs to be rightly ordered and my loves need to be rightly ordered. I haven't thought as a pastor where does Pine Grove need to be rightly ordered. What I have thought of is the world is disordered and shame on them and Black Lives Matter and shame on them. And and I've been real self-righteous in that. And and I think I'm right, by the way, in my corrections. But I haven't started Heater. That's where Paul starts, doesn't he? He preaches this gospel to a city that's way disordered, and he says, "Get your order, get your worship in order in your local church." That's how he's going to change the world. Right, ordered worship in the in the church changes the world outside the church. Why? Because we have here to do with God, don't we? We come here calling on the name of our God to act in our lives and in our lives in the world. He rightly orders worship first. He rightly orders worship first. He brings it home to us. And so how about you? Where is your worship of Almighty God on Sunday morning with your brothers and sisters disordered? What do you put before it? What effort do you put into it? Prepare for it. What intentionality do you bring here to care for your brothers and sisters who are seated around you? If you're a man, Paul speaks to men here and to women here. How are you coming in the zeal of the Lord to worship him as a man? To show the others around you, this is how men worship almighty God. How's your body language? How's your heart? How about you as a woman? How are you preparing to come and worship God in submission to your husband? To as an older woman to show the younger woman this is how a godly younger woman worships her Lord. How how are you praying in preparation for the corporate gathering of the church with it, which is God's plan to change the world. This is it right here. God takes little things and little places and changes the world. How did Roman society change to become largely Christian just three or four hundred years after this was written? How? By the right ordering of the worship of the church in Corinth. That's how. Do you have faith for that kind of slow, plodding, cultural change through the worship of the church? That's how he did it. He didn't go out into the society and preach this amazing message that brought immediate change. He didn't train up and unleash an army of Christians to go out and demand justice. Right now, my way for the oppressed or else. He called them to hold fast in their worship to the apostolic tradition and it changed the world. It changed the world. I'm not overstating it. The world in this area was changed because of these things. Because the Christian church took the word of God seriously, repented of their sins week in and week out, and tried to reform their lives and their worship according to the word of God, and it changed the world. And it will change the world. Another way to look at it is, we all know the Great Commission, right? We could, could we repeat it together? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Is this text about that? is this text a Great Commission text or does it have nothing to do with it? Head coverings, are you serious, Paul? Don't you see the riots in Minneapolis? Head coverings? Can't we deal with something that matters? (laughs) And and it matters. That's how God changes the world, by changing us. All right, have you had enough? (laughs) Let let me speak to the young people, and then I I just want to tell the gospel here real quick. Young people, I mean this very kind. Let me do it this way. We have six elders. Well, five and a half. (laughs) You'll, You'll hear more about that later. We have six. Three of our elders are, how do you say this? Well, older. They can get cheaper coffee at McDonald's than the other three of us. And We have three younger elders, Pastor Jeff, Sean, and myself. We're all, you're in your 40s, right? Yep. So we're all 40-something and they're all wiser. Us younger elders and pastors have an obligation and duty to listen to our older elders. Because they've seen more and they know more, and they've lived more. And there have been many times when they have saved us younger, more excitable, want to get things done, want to do something. They have saved us from making really big mistakes because of their wisdom and because of their patience and because they need a nap. Right? And so let me apply that to you young people. Can I, can I say this very kindly? You don't know much of anything. You think you do, but you don't. You, you, you really don't know much yet. And our world is hell-bent on convincing you that you're the most important person in the world. And so they put people like Greta Thornburg out to teach us about how to take care of the environment. It's really foolish. We have a cult of youth in our culture. And... It is a really good listen when you're at a table, lesson when you're at a table with older people to just be quiet and listen. Ask a few questions. Right. Sp- speak when spoken to. Otherwise, just look at your older brothers and sisters and learn from them. Learn from them. The- maintain the traditions delivered to you. How can you learn the traditions if you won't be quiet to listen to them? This is Titus 2 kind of stuff. Older women of the church. The younger women of our church need you. They need to know how you endured having children and doing what you did. They need to know how to do it. And us younger people need to have the wisdom to listen to them. And and so that's one application. Let me just preach the gospel here at the end. 1 Corinthians 15. What do you and I need more than anything? We just need Jesus. That's it. That's the tradition. You don't need to right all racial wrongs. What you need is Jesus. What you need is that old-timey gospel the old school gospel that begins like this. We are all one race. All of us are crooked and warped in sin. Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God, the word of God, took on human flesh for one reason, so that he could have a body in which to bear our sins and make final and full atonement and payment for it on the cross. The son of God took on a body so that he could die for us in our place being made just like us. He lived his entire life without any sin at all. Still, the authorities hated him, arrested him, and nailed him to a cross where he died. He was buried. On the third day, he rose again. He appeared to many. He ascended to heaven where he was and is seated at the right hand of God, at the right hand of the Ancient of Days. He was coronated as king some 2,000 years ago. All authority in heaven and earth was given to him. The Father gave to him every black, white, brown, red, and every other tribe on this earth. He owns them all. And he has been ruling since that time. And he is working and promises to work glorious things in this world. He is everything. He is everything. There is nothing more important in your life than worshiping him. Because he is everything. If you want comfort, it's him. If you want goodness, it's him. If you want peace, it's It's him. If you want to know how to make sense of anything in this world, it's found in him alone. That's it. There's no other place. It is either Christ or chaos in this world. It's one or the other, brothers and sisters. It's either Jesus Christ or chaos. And you can see which one our world is choosing, and we will not, will we? We want Christ. And so we'll stand firm in him. Let's pray. Father, would you give us faith to see the full sufficiency, goodness, wisdom, and power of your son. May we put our lives, our thoughts, our feelings, our fears, our dreads, our sorrows, our disagreements in his everlasting, almighty hands. May you help us to find comfort in him alone, find hope in him alone, to look to the day of his coming, and until that day, be busy living our lives, our little lives, doing the best we can in these little things for your glory, and watch as you make use of them to do far greater things than we could ever expect or hope because you are a great God. Help us, O God, to be committed to your glory above all else and to have faith to live in this world for your glory above all else, before all else. Help us to love you more than we love anything else and help us to love our brothers and sisters. And so, God, help us. But mostly, God, help us to hold firm, stand fast in your eternal word because it is right and true and unchanging. And it is a place of great hope and peace. And so, God, please help us. In Jesus' name, amen. The charge is this. There's two of them. We heard about keeping, holding fast to the tradition as they were delivered from the apostles. I want to encourage you to continue to grow in being faithful to reading your Bible on a very regular daily basis. If you find our Bible reading challenge helpful, grab one. Just start on today. We read the Gospel of John. I don't remember which one's next. Does anybody know which one's next? First John? Okay. Uh, so join in. If you find another Bible reading, do that. But my, my charge is just make it your tradition to read the biblical tradition. The second is find a way to honor an, an elder. I don't mean a, a church elder. I mean somebody older than you. Like a real out come of this, maintain the tradition, is to honor those who have gone before us. So how can you as a child honor your father and mother? How can you as a citizen honor those in our community who has gone before you? How can you honor somebody older, somebody elderly? Uh, find a way to do that this week and try to act on it. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord. I love you.